This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I want you to look in your Bibles today at 1 Samuel chapter 27. And we are currently in a series called The Love of God. And today is sermon number five in this series. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be speaking on four phases of God's love that he uses to change our life. Four phases of God's love that he uses to change our lives. And we're going to be using as our main text this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 27. And I want you to look with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Most of you are familiar with the life of David. And you know a lot of his accomplishments, and you are familiar with some of his failures. Perhaps this is a phase or a story of David's life that you're not very familiar with at all. And so when we get to places like this in our study and our reading, our sermons, our teaching, and we come across something that you're not familiar with, that should be an occasion for you to perk up just a little bit more so than other times to really grasp the truths in this particular message today because I believe that uh, from the beginning to the end of today's message, you're going to hear a lot of truths that apply to all of our lives and we can pretty much use it as a model uh, in our Christian experience. And so I want you to follow along with me as we look at these places in David's life. And there are some other things that I want to share with you as well. But let's begin today in 1 Samuel chapter 27 with verse number 1. And I'm going to read down through verse number 7. And I pray that you would follow along with us. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Wow. If you're familiar with the life of David at all, this is, this is where things go south for him. Now, he had a lot of heartaches and he had a lot of failures, but this, this particular story that we're reading today, when we get to some of the deeper content, we look back and we say, wow, how in the world could this be? Well, the scripture says, and David made the statement, there's nothing better for me. Well, that wasn't true at all. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me. That means if I do this, if I get to the land of the Philistines real quick, Saul will forget all about me. And so he says, to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Micah, 
king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, and Noam, the Jezreelitist, and Abigail, the Carmitalist, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. That's a sordid story. David living in the land of the Philistines. When I think about the song that Rhea just sang, it fits like a glove so well when I think how it's utterly amazing of the extremes that God would take to have a relationship with me and to have a relationship with you. We know that he so loved the world that he did not want to see anybody die and go to hell. And so he sent his only son, the only remedy, the only payment, the only pardon, the only bridge that would help a man, a woman, a human soul to escape the eternal flames of hell. God so loved this world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to be the Savior. And it's his will, the scripture says, that none of us perish, but that all of us come to repentance. He wants everybody to receive, to accept his son Jesus as their personal savior. But it doesn't stop there. We cannot go to heaven without Jesus. That's first and foremost. But what God also desires is that not only do we accept his only begotten son to be our savior, but God also wants us to make his only begotten son our Lord. Some people are just content with having a savior. They don't want to die and go to hell. Just build me a cabin somewhere in glory. I don't care where it is. I just don't want to die and go to hell. People are content with just the Savior. But let me tell you this, that's a shallow life. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. And if you're going to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I'm not talking about your Savior. You can have nothing better than the Savior. Nothing any more precious to you than the Savior. But if you never allow him to be the Lord of your life, you're going to live a shallow life. 
He wants to be the Lord of your life. And if you allow him to be the Lord of your life, then you're going to, you know, when we stand and sing sometimes the song, all to Jesus, I surrender all to him, I freely give. When you allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you're doing a lot of surrendering. One of the problems that we have in Christianity today is that, yes, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. And that's where it stops for a lot of people. There's really not been any significant change. Oh, we know we've received Christ as our Savior. We know that nobody could talk us out of that. We believe it. We know it. But is he your Lord? God has gone through great extremes to have a relationship with us that not only did he send his only son to die for us, but think about this, he wants to spend eternity with us. And so the relationship that God designs or desires for us to have with him is not shallow, it's not little. It's significant. You think about it just for a minute. If God did not desire that, it would be within human reason to think that after the fall in the Garden of Eden, everything prior to that and everything leading up to that, and then when the day actually came when Adam and Eve transgressed against Jehovah God, and then not only there, but then the wickedness that took place before the flood with Noah, you would think that after the Genesis account of creation and the fall of man especially, and then the wickedness on the earth prior to the flood, and then the flood, you would think by human reasoning, if God wanted to give up on us, he had two perfectly good reasons to do it. But he did not choose to do that. He has a plan for our life. God doesn't want us simply existing, simply getting by, just, just squeaking by. God, that's not his plan. Now, some people are content with that because you don't have to surrender all. You don't have to allow him to be Lord of your life. Listen, you can go to heaven, and the Bible teaches us this, that when the Lord comes, that we not be ashamed at his coming. I think that there's going to be probably a lot of embarrassment when the rapture takes place because when, as the choir sang this morning, when we see him, oh, I want to see him look upon his face. When we see the Lord for the very first time, maybe in the twinkling of an eye, maybe in the blink of an eye, we're going to look back on this worldly life and we're going to regret that we didn't do more for him. God doesn't want us simply existing. God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be energetic. He wants us to be consecrated. He wants us to be victorious. He desires all of those things. And when he is your Lord, those things matter. But it's important to remember that God is never going to be the obstacle in our path. He's never going to make us do anything against our will. I preach this all the time, and that's something that is, I believe, necessary to be repetitious from time to time. God's never stood in our way from making spiritual progress. He never has. He never will be. We can only blame ourselves if we're living shallow Christian lives. God has designed, I believe, four incredible phases that can bring us into a right relationship with him and make us acceptable and usable for his glory. Uh, the thing is this, folks, we don't have to live a life shackled to sin. 
We don't have to live a life that's empty uh, without joy and, and without peace and, and without hope. We don't have to live lives like this. And so this morning, I want to share with you what I believe four phases that God can use that can change our life. Number one, first of all, God can use a crisis. And this is the first thing on your outline this morning. And let me assure you of something, that if it requires a crisis to turn your heart back to him, remember this, yours will not be the first. God knows how to do it. God has done it. He may be doing it today. Let me assure you of one thing. God knows how to send the storm in our life if that's what we need. He knows how to. In fact, we know he can speak peace to the storm. But did you know that he can wake one up? In Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says this, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest so that the ship was like to be broken. God knows how to speak peace to our storms, but if there is a storm that's needed, he knows how to wake one up. God can use a crisis. In this story of David, listen carefully, David was a shepherd. He loved tending sheep. But he was also a great champion through time and battle. Seven years before this particular chapter was written, David had won the great battle over the great giant Goliath, seven years prior to this story today. He was known as a great hero. But fate would have it that King Saul became insanely jealous over David's victory and his increasing popularity. And let me say this, jealousy is an evil that has ruined many people's lives. You will never be able to do anything for God until you nail jealousy to the cross. As a consequence to this, David left his beloved homeland, he left his beloved city, he left like a fugitive, and he was running for his life from King Saul. Now, I want you to see this in chapter 27, verse number 7. We're going to go to a few key verses in this story today. But in chapter 27, look at verse number 7. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So here's the thing now, David had stooped so low in his running that he was now camping with the Philistines. And here's the great spiritual truth for this. When you start running from the right thing, you're going to find yourself waist deep in the wrong thing. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves one day with our shoes off having such a right relationship with God, standing on holy ground, and in the blink of an eye, we can find ourselves like we spoke about last Sunday in the hog pen. That's exactly what happened a lot. One day, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. The next day, he was pitching his tent towards Sodom, and the next day, he was living in Sodom. Chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, let me call your attention to this once more. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? 
Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore, Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah until this day. So David had set up a little uh, camp in a little town called Ziklag. And in chapter 28, look at verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. So you get the idea. David now, an Israelite, he's running from Saul because of Saul's jealousy. He's running from Saul. He's running for his life. And the first place he goes is to the Philistines. He's now talking to the leadership of the Philistines. And he's saying, Saul is after me. He said, I've quit the Israelites. I want to join up with you guys. Can I be a Philistine? And folks, this is a sordid story, but you're reading it just as I am. It is true. And Achish says, David, we're going out tomorrow to fight with the, with the Israelites. And you're going to fight with me. You're going to be on the Philistine side. David, seven years prior, just killed the great giant. Now you think about this. In David's truce with the Philistines, he became aware that they were planning to go to war with the Israelites. But David volunteered to go with them. He didn't say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not lined up with them anymore, but you know, I just, I, it's not within me to fight my own people. I've quit them. I'm not with them. I'm here with you, but you know, I, I, I don't know about this. Look at this. He didn't put up any fuss. And he struggled. Look at verse 2. And David said, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. David said, Listen, you know I'm a great champion of battle. You know what I can do. And Achish said to David, Look at this. Therefore will I make thee keeper of my head forever. Now David and Achish are now planning, scheming, to go to war against Israel. David had volunteered now at this point to go with them. How could this be? David wanting to go to war with his own people. And this goes to show you the power of the devil and the depths of sin. The devil has power to turn us against God in the blink of an eye. He can cause us to backslide. He can call us, cause us to fall out of church. He can cause us to fall out with one another. The devil has power to hurt the church, to hurt the people of God. God's greater than him, but we're not greater than the devil. Keep that in mind. You start hanging out in places where you know good and well you shouldn't be, and you'll start doing things you couldn't imagine you ever would have done. This is what happens when we begin to tolerate or drifting from the Lord. But as David was trying to enlist with the Philistines, listen, it didn't set well with all the Philistines. You might think that the Philistines said, oh man, now we got ourselves a new quarterback. We got ourselves a great player. Now David's on our team. He's a great champion and he's going out to fight the Philistines with us. We're all happy. Let's, let's make a big thing about this. That's not what happened with everybody because when Achish let it be known that David was now on their team, 
and they were going out to battle, one of the Philistine generals said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Have you heard the song that these people are singing about this man? He said that song goes like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And let me remind you that some of these ten thousands were us. The general feared that if the Hebrews sought David on the battlefield, that it would give them a surge of confidence and that it would elevate them to win the battle. So the decision was made not to let David go into the battle. Look at chapter 29 and look at verse number 9. I want to read for you verse 9 through 11. And Achish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to battle. Wherefore, now rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee. And as soon as ye be caught up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now you think about this. David's running from Saul. He's now a fugitive. He's not drinking from the wells of Bethlehem right now. He's running from Saul. He joined up with the Philistines. And now the Philistines are saying, we, no, 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 we don't want you. So now he's not with his own people. He's not with the Philistines. Now he's got to go back to this little camp that was given to him. And in verse number 25, or, or chapter 29, verse number 11, look at that verse again. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So David took his little men to this little town, this little camp of Ziklag. And in chapter 30, look what happens here when David arrives back to Ziklag. In chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. And oh, I'm the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Now, I want you to look at that very carefully. When David and his men got close to the camp, they noticed a thick cloud of smoke hovering over the horizon. And when they got to the gates, they found that the city was now burned to shambles. All of their wives were missing, all of their sons, all of their daughters, all of the herds. Everything was gone. And let me remind you of this truth. Keep in mind, David had fled from where he was supposed to be. He fled his people. He went into the land of the Philistines where he was not supposed to be. 
When he got there, they didn't even want him. So now David is sort of like a man without a country. He's now going back to Ziklag. He gets there and he finds that while he was gone, if he had been where he should have been, none of this would have happened. But he gets out of God's will here. He's definitely out of God's will here. Now he's in the middle. He's now here in Ziklag. And while David had been camping with the Philistines, another aggressive army, the Amalekites, came and they stole everything David had. David's men were so despondent over this. When they got back and they were all in Ziklag here, the Bible says that the hostilities towards David was so harsh that they wanted to stone him. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now I want you to look at that. That's a terrible consequence of sin. And here's the thing that I want to remind you of this morning. When people think that they're off having a good time, the enemy will be at your house stealing everything you have. When you get out of God's will and you, you think that uh, you're going to live life to, to pleasure and, and self-gratification, let me tell you this. You get away from God and, and the devil will come and steal everything you got. He'll work on your marriage. He'll work on your children. He'll work on your testimony. He'll work on your witness. Everything that you count dear, you get away from God and get in the place where you ought not to be. And the devil will come knocking and steal everything you have. He's after everything we have. Now listen carefully. God could have stopped him in Jerusalem. He could have stopped him in Beth. He could have said, oh, well, wait a minute, buddy. Uh, you're not going over there. You, I know what's going to happen. I know what can happen. You better stay put. You're going to stay right here. That's not what God... God allowed the crisis. He allowed the crisis. When David was in a place that he should not have been, the enemy came and stole everything he had. God allowed the crisis to make a change in David's life. Now listen carefully. There is no way of knowing what would have happened in David's life without the crisis. We don't know. He could have given up. He could have quit. But one thing for sure, he knew he needed a change. God allowed this crisis to take place. He knew he was not where he ought to be. Now I want you to see in the latter part of verse number six, uh, chapter 30, verse number 6. And I want you to see what David did when his comrades, his men, were about ready to stone him. The latter part of verse number 6 says, and in the midst of this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now I want you to look at that. Look what he did. He encouraged himself. In the things of God. The, the crisis drew David to his knees. A place where God once again could have his undivided attention. Dave, in fact, David, there's no doubt in my mind that when David was here with the Philistines, he had got away from his devotions. How much poetry do you think David wrote right here? How much of the Psalms do you think David wrote in the Philistine camp? Let me ask you this. 
How many times do you think David pulled out his harp and played in the Philistines? You think about that. It takes a crisis sometimes. Number two, let me move on. God will sometimes use conversion to change a person's life. Think about this just for a minute. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us is on our road to hell. Think about the, the misery of a Christless eternity. There might be somebody right here this morning in this service. You're praying for a loved one right now. You know they're not saved. That's heavy on your heart. You know they need the Lord and you weep for them. And you know in an instant what can happen when Christ comes in. You remember the, the story of Saul of Tarsus when he was on the road to Damascus. In one instant, he had warrants in his saddlebags that would bring the persecution and martyrdom to Christian people. But in the blink of an eye, he hit the, he hit the road and God transformed his life. You know what happened instantly with the woman at the well? I was reading a story this week, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with this story. It's a true story. One of the greatest evangelists in the early uh, 19th century, but his name was Mel Trotter. Do you know the story of Mel Trotter? If you don't take time to read it, it'll touch your life. Mel Trotter was, was a, a drunkard. He was uh, an alcoholic. He was a brutish man, and uh, he had nothing to do with church. He had nothing to do with God. He, he abused his family in every possible way. He did not take care of them. He had a little child that was dying and very sick, and he would spend most of his time in the, in the bars at night, spending all the money that the family had. One day he had come off of his drunk and he was going home and he noticed back in those days they put crepe on the door and when that happened, you know somebody had just died. Mel Trotter realized that his little child had died and so he slipped into the funeral home and he took the shoes off of the dead child's body. He took them back to the saloon and he put them on the counter and he told the barkeep, he said, I want you to give me enough liquor for the value of these shoes. When he had consumed all the liquor that the value of the shoes was worth, he was at the point of a nervous breakdown. He knew what he had done. He knew what he had done. And so he was actually going to commit suicide. And so he left the bar early that morning. He was making his way one stop after another. He was making his way to a pier. He was going to jump off a pier and drown himself. But somebody was working at the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And when Mel Trotter was walking by the streets of that mission, somebody reached out to him called him inside, sat him down. Mel Trotter started hearing songs like, what a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus has come into my heart. And he saw many, many men singing these wonderful songs of praise. And in an instant where he was going to commit suicide as a drunkard, he gave his heart to Christ. 
now still going on today in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can find the Mel Trotter Ministries still going on, became one of America's greatest preachers. But what I'm telling you is this, in an instant, God can change everything. He changed everything in an instance from Saul of Tarsus to make him the apostle Paul. He changed everything in an instance at the woman at the well. He changed everything in an instance in Mel Trotter's life. And let me tell you this, he can change everything that you have going on in an instance. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Number three, God will use a call to change your life. Moses was on the backside of the desert keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And to make a long story short, Moses looked up and he saw one of the most unusual things he'd ever seen in all of his life, and that was a bush burning not being consumed, God summoned him up there and placed a big call upon his life. Moses answered the call. It changed his life forever. Gideon of the Old Testament was a man. He was at the wine press threshing wheat. The angel of God began to appear to him and give him a distinct call on his life. Gideon could not believe it. He said, who are you talking to? Moses tried to react that way a little bit. But Gideon said, well, who are you talking to? He said, my family's poor in Manasseh. He said, I'm the least in my father's house. You got the wrong person for this job. No, Gideon, you're the one that God has chosen. You're the one that God wants to use. When God speaks to your heart and calls you to do something, don't run to the Philistines. Don't run away from God. Because in an instant, God can change your life with a call if you surrender to it. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. He said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. I think one of the problems today, and we're living in dark, perilous times. We're not seeing a whole lot of people across America today surrendering to the call of God. But the burden is still the same today as it was yesterday. It's still the same today as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. It's still the same. People are dying and going to hell. We need people. You know what we need? We need more young people who are surrendering their lives for full-time ministry. I told my preacher's son, who pastors a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, I told him this when he announced his call to preach to me. I told him this. I said, I said, son, if... If God's not in this, don't do it. If God hadn't called you to preach, if you haven't stood at a burning bush, and if God hasn't placed that into your heart, if he's not made you feel it from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, don't do it. Don't do it for any other reason. It will not work if God has not called you to do it. But I pray that we see people surrendering to the ministry. Moses surrendered, Gideon surrendered, Noah, Elisha, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18 and 19, and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers, and he saith unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. When God calls you for special service, listen, and makes that known to you, and you make the commitment, I promise you, if you surrender, if you 
uh, do this. If you commit yourselves to God, it will change your life forever. Uh, people have asked me this question from time to time. They said, Pastor, how, how, you've been doing this for over 41 years. How, how do you keep doing this? And I go back to what I told my preacher son. If God hadn't called me to do what I'm doing, I would have quit a long time ago. I, I would not put my family through what I do if God hadn't called me to do it. I wouldn't put myself through it if God hadn't called me to do it. But faithful is he which calleth you. I will tell you this. There have been many times I failed the Lord, but he's never one time failed me. Never one time. Number four, and I want our musicians to come. God can also use confession. It's amazing how quick people can get into a stagnant life, never making any progress. And usually it's because of some kind of unconfessed sin in their life. Usually. You'll find in your spiritual life, if you, if you have, if you're harboring unconfessed sin, you'll find yourself going nowhere, wasting time, always, always seeming to have one difficulty after another. And usually, usually there's some sort of hidden sin. Nothing's ever going to change your life until you're willing and ready to make spiritual confession to the Lord. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Confession brings, I believe, God's power for change. And if you're willing to make changes in your life, listen, God's willing to change you. That's what God wants. If we ever get to the place in life where we feel we don't need to change, or if we ever get to the place where we feel like that there's nothing to change, that we have arrived. You can't teach me anything else, preacher. I know it all. Let me assure you of something. That's the day. If I ever got to that place where I felt like I couldn't open this Bible and this Bible couldn't teach me nothing else, that's the day my ministry would be unproductive. It would cease to be productive from that day forward. Because this is what I believe. I believe I could take this book and I could open it up to John 3.16 for 52 Sundays. And I believe God could show me and you something different. He promised that the word would not return void. When we get in places where we ought not to be, we're going to find ourselves drifting. Let me assure you, God can use a crisis. He can use conversion. He can use a call and he can use confession. God can use anything he wills for his honor and glory. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.